Hi everyone, welcome to episode 5 of OSUZ 504's Freelance, the Anti-Romance. In our last episode, Erica has moved in with Marcus, developed delusions of social acceptability, Marcus has had a thought that he may have made a terrible mistake, and Elena is about to have a delightful surprise that will change her life forever. Remember, if you like this book, it's available on Amazon.com and www.osuz504.tech. That's osuz504.tech. Aussie has a ton of other stuff up there as well, so check out some of its other works. Now, back to the story. Section 3. Charisma Stats. Don't worry about it, only bards need this one. It comes with an STD. Are you sure you're alright? Marcus had a bad feeling about leaving her alone. In the house. His house. With no supervision. He hadn't quite thought through this the previous night, obviously. Yes, yes, of course. Bossy. No experimentation, etc., etc. Everything is fine. I will be here, tapping on my little computer. You go. He looked at her. She seemed far too happy with everything. Far too comfortable, far too relaxed. In a single day, she'd lost her home and had moved in with another person. She'd lost her solitude, her personal space. She should be upset by this. Everything he knew about her said that she should be having a meltdown right now. He didn't move, just stood at the door, his bag in hand, ready to go to work, unable to leave. I'm fine, I promise, and I'll be nice to your house. Erica, go, go, it's fine, nothing to worry about here. Oh God, if that isn't the devil's creed right there, what have I done, he thought. Feed the cat, Marcus said. Yes, yes, kitty will get fed, go already. Are you sure? I can take another personal day. I mean, she shoved him out bodily. Little shoulders pushed into his ribcage as she pushed him out, pressed him out of the door. Out. Go away. The cross tone sounded more like her normal self, ironically making him feel better. You can call whenever. I will be back at four. Don't break anything. Yes, yes. Out, out. Bye. She slammed the door on him. I need to get her a key, he thought belatedly. Not as though she'll ever leave the house, but she still needs a key. He started to get a bad feeling around 2 p.m. It was a small, niggling doubt that seemed to creep into his mind. Nothing in words, exactly, just a feeling that all was not right with the world. He called Erica. No response. It was the longest two hours of his life to wait. When he opened the door to his house, he saw a canvas draped everywhere. Saw horses and two men were standing on ladders installing what looked to be bookshelves. Erica was nowhere in sight. Who are you? he asked one of the men. Lady said she needed help installing bookshelves, so we're helping. We work for the building, said the other one. She said she was a new resident. He thrust a thumb towards the bedroom. We brought her all the supplies she requested this morning, and she's been turning out shit right and left. Marcus glanced up at the shelves. Simple, sturdy shelves, stained, dark wood, anchored to the wall, ringed his living room, dining room, and hallways from floor to ceiling. Pictures sat forlornly on the floor, awaiting their new home. He opened the door to the bedroom. His bed had been removed, and she had pre-cut slabs of wood, waiting, staining, and was rapid-fire assembling the shelves and dragging them out to the workmen. The place smelled like alcohol and efficiency. "'Your home,' she said. "'Great. Here.' 
She handed in the next shelving assembly and pointed towards the open space of the bedroom. Start bracing it to the wall. I've already marked out the studs. What are you doing? Isn't it obvious, she said, marking out the next set. I took all the measurements and materials last night, scheduled the handyman assist, a free service by the building, by the way, what a great deal, and I am fixing our space problem. I also ordered some do-it-yourself building plans for a foldable bed or desk combination I can use, and I am learning how to do carpentry. She paused. It's really not that hard. Today I learned shelves. Tomorrow I'll be learning to make these neat cubbies that can be built into the shelves and your bed frame. Your old one had to go to make room for the new storage type, so... Sorry. Erica, you, you can't just get rid of my things and install furniture. She stopped, surprised. But you told me that's what you wanted. He pinched the bridge of his nose, remembering his words. Yes. Okay. I, yes, but you should discuss things with me. We should do this together. You shouldn't just decide to get rid of my furniture and remodel my house. Oh. But, um, but this is better. Now we'll have all the space we need, and Elena will have a safe, clean place to come. Isn't that what you wanted? Yes, but I wanted you to discuss it with me. She shrugged, obviously not understanding the point of discussion. Whatever. It's good. It's what you need. I'm going to stay here, so it's what I need, so no further discussion required. Stay here for how long? Forever. She said it so nonchalantly, he almost missed it. He mentally did a double take as she kept talking. I've decided I like you, and I don't want to be by myself anymore, and you said I needed a keeper, and then you kept me, so you must be my keeper. I'm going to stay here. He was starting to get very nervous, and his chest felt very tight. Erica, you can't just decide that. I just did. No, I... She stopped work, faced him, and held his face in her hands, letting her honey-gold eyes meet his. She didn't say anything. She didn't move. Just looked at him with his face in her hands. Really looked. Still intense. 100% focused on him. That same feeling of time and space stopping happened. He could feel his heartbeat echo in his ears, and the sound of workmen seemed very far away as she seemed to look through him again. Opened up his mind and heart and rifled through all the little pieces and saw him. The real him. The whole him. And then she dropped her hands and broke the spell. This is how it should be. We don't need to talk about anything that is this obvious. She went back to work. He sat heavily down on the floor and held his head in his hands. What just happened? Well, wake up, Professora. Breakfast. <laughs> he prodded the blanket lump on the couch. You need to eat. You promised you'd eat with me, remember? A corner of the blanket pulled away, and a little halo of dirty blonde hair poofed up in its place. Merritt, this is a whole unholy hour. Go away. She pulled the blankets back over her face, wriggling her body to face away from him and the window. Through his patio doors, he could see a beautiful sunrise over part of the city. Colors of purple and orange streaked through hot pink clouds. Cut it out with the wrong name shit, Erica. We live together. You know who I am. Besides, you're missing a beautiful sunrise. The blanket receded again. She scrubbed her eyes and looked out the window. Oh. She fumbled for her glasses, and he stuck them in her pasty white hand. 
She needs some sun, he thought, disapproving. It's not healthy to be inside this much, especially with winter coming. Breakfast! He tried to pull her over towards what had been his dining room table. It was now an oblong bookcase he could eat off of, and he refused to admit that it was actually a brilliant idea and much better than the old table. I can't encourage her, even if it is perfect, he thought. Fortunately, she ignored him. The blanket disappeared, and she moved towards the patio, wearing only underwear and a tank top, to stand barefoot on the balcony in the middle of October. Hey, hey, crazy lady, he said, flinging the blanket around her. You'll scare the neighbors and catch cold or something. You can't catch cold, she murmured, her eyes on the sky. Cold has nothing to do with the rhinovirus. She inhaled deeply, her little toes sticking out from the blanket edge, head back as if she was falling into the colors. He watched her for a moment. She seemed to be hearing something like music in her head, swaying lightly with the breeze. Come in when you're ready. I have to leave in an hour or so. Why? For work, silly. He flicked her forehead gently. It's what the rest of us have to do if we can't write. Ah, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> Thanks. Come inside when you're ready. When the colors faded, she wandered back into the room. I like your patio, she said. I couldn't see the sky at the other place. That's why I brought it. She sat in front of her plate, not touching the food. Eat, Arasita, it won't bite you. She prodded it with a fork. What is it? Huevos rancheros. He chowed down contentedly, slipping another tortilla off the pile. How do you eat it? He shook his head. Observe, professora. He held up a tortilla, mixed with the eggs and beans, slapped them into the middle, and dipped it into the salsa. Repeat until you aren't hungry anymore. How have you managed to survive all this time? She shrugged, immediately applying herself to the food, inhaling it. See, Dosura, if you keep eating that fast, you'll make yourself sick. It's good. A little bit of egg ran down her chin, and he shook his head. Of course it's good. Clean your face. Chew. Swallow. In that order. No response. Okay. I'm going to leave the house today. When I do, Eresita, Eresita, please listen to me. He gently guided her chin to face him as she started to stare back out the window and ignore him. When I come home today, I do not want to see any new furniture. Nothing ripped apart. My clothes and my things should be exactly the way I left them. Is that clear? Exactly the way you left them. Yes, clear. No cooking either. I made you lunch. You can eat it cold. Don't touch the stove. Clear? No cooking. Don't touch the stove. Clear. He stared at her. She held up her hands. I'll be good, I promise. Why do I not believe you? Marcus settled into his chair comfortably and started to pull out his dice and character sheets. Oh, thanks for setting this up, Justin. Chris has been canceling the game a lot lately. It's pissing me off. God knows this is the only social interaction I get on a semi-regular basis. Justin grunted agreement, setting up the dungeon master screen and putting his own stuff together. Where's your brother? Marcus asked. Oh, probably running, watching reruns of shitty 80s shows. Ryan! He screamed into the deep reaches of the apartment they shared. You playing tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let me finish this episode. Hurry up! Marcus is here, and I don't want to have to think of smart things to say to keep him occupied. Yeah, okay, hang on. 
I see your hair is growing back in, man. That's good, said Marcus. I mean, I, I miss the bald look. It sort of reminded me of a heavy metal monk. Justin sighed and ran his fingers through what was left of it. Yeah, I used I use way too much of that dye stuff. I did like the green color you got after it wouldn't wash out. Fuck you, he said comfortably. Sandy said she wanted me to be blonde. If you ever get a girlfriend again, then you can judge. My girl wants blonde hair. I'm going blonde. Marcus chuckled. I think she probably meant that you should go to a professional or use a product that couldn't double as a floor disinfectant. Uh, you know. I'm cheap, okay? It sounded like a good idea at the time. Justin touched the scaly skin and shaved bits again. God, I look like the kid that would happen if Pugsley fucked Frankenstein's monster. Bald is not my style. Nope. Marcus agreed, starting to level up his character. You still want to play that dumb elf, or do you want to switch characters now that Chris has blown us off? You can keep the level and everything, asked Justin, while organizing his own dice. The man has an obsession, thought Marcus, admiring the piles of multicolored plastic. Maybe an addiction. Hey, I like Amicus. Sure, he's got a negative three intelligence and looks like the poster attraction for a gay porn flick, but you don't need to shame him for who he is. Ha, I like the ranger panties you got from the last vendor, Justin said. And the witch's hat. Don't forget the witch's hat. Ranger panties and a witch's hat, said Marcus. Oh, dude, I could forgive you if he had any stats whatsoever, but he doesn't. He's still dumb. Hey, hey, Amicus is a very loving person. Don't knock him. And his dexterity is plus eight, so he may be dumb, but, you know, he can dance. Marcus struck a pose, laughing at his own joke. Sure, sure, whatever. Ryan, hurry the fuck up! Marcus is practicing his pole dancing moves and it's making me uncomfortable. Um. After a moment, Ryan said, dropping into the other chair in his brother's kitchen. Okay, what are we doing? Do you have your dice? Asked his big brother. Who right, dice. He got up to go get them and Justin rolled his eyes. Fucking space cadet. Good thing he plays the most useless class in the game. Hey, called Ryan. Bards are way overpowered and can do pretty much anything. It's true, said Marcus. Are you going to take the rogue archetype? We could probably use that one. Or a fighter type. Justin, are you going to dungeon master and play Quell tonight? Nah, the man said, adjusting his books. I can't multitask. I'll just try and kill you two. We need another player, said Ryan. Chris was all right as a DM, but he was still super boring. Get better friends, Marcus. Marcus sniffed. You're the one in school? Why don't you get some friends? Us old people have jobs and families to think of. We should find a DM. I'd rather play. All this prep work and rules arguing sucks. I'd rather be making life difficult for someone else, said Justin. And how else can I get my fix of lobbing fireballs at people? Fireballs made of... started Marcus. Green flame, said the brothers in unison. Okay, guys, let's do this stupid thing. Justin pulled out a module and started reading. A wooden vessel is caught high in the tree branches, broken into three chunks. It resembles a ship, but there are differences that mark it as clearly not a seagoing vessel. The stern is the lowest piece, hanging precariously by its rigging about 50 feet above ground. The middle section appears to be 15 feet higher, and the bow section is firmly wedged into a nest of branches another 10 feet above that. A weak voice calls out from its reaches. Hello on the ground. Can you help us? 
what do you do? Section 4, Constitution Stats. How many hit points you get? The block in question was deep in Undercity. Walls were falling apart. Open sewage trenches lined the old road beneath the pedestrian bridge, and the air was thick with noxious smog and smells. I paused before exiting the pedestrian bridge, seeing the rickety stairwell, and elected to just jump the twenty feet or so. My hydraulics groaned and lurched uncomfortably. Violation has been logged. Damage to synthetic systems has been noted. Please proceed to a repair facility as soon as possible. Your supervisor has been notified. I sighed. It'll cost me. So stupid. Just having too much fun, I thought, picturing the repair bill. Add it to my contract, I guess. I touched my communicator, resting on my throat. Requesting unit, please respond. I am standing by at transmitted coordinates. Please advise. A rough crackle of static. Received. Meet me at the north side of the building, near the roof. Very good, I said, and started to sprint towards the building and the stairs, arriving on the flat roof. My contact was a human, a full human, a smaller female kneeling next to a prone body. TK 0454675 reports. How can I help? I said. She glanced up at me. Good. I'm glad they sent a cyborg. She pointed to the body. I need a thermoscan to determine time of death and evidence wipe to see if there's anything to tie the perpetrator to the scene. I paused. Is the area secure? Would you like me to track the suspect? She scowled at me. Did I ask you to do any of that? No. Just shut up and do what I asked you. Very good. I let my eyes shift into infrared, observing the rate of cooling and pooling body liquids, my AI consolidating them into a graphical display. Minute residues of alien DNA seemed to be under the man's fingernails. I slid out a sampling scope from my index finger and gently probed under them, running the material through my cloud database. Again, my AI consolidated the data for me to provide a report for the officer. Complete, I said, letting my eyes return to normal configuration. Would you like that report electronically downloaded to your implant or to the cloud, officer? Send it to me direct, she barked shoving her palm at me as I pressed her implanted data chip with the report. Thank you, Officer Dennett. Is there anything else I can assist you with today? No, thank you. I've got it from here. You're free to go. Officer, there is one small detail. Go away, cyborg. I'm not interested in you telling me how to do my job. Uh, but, but, Officer... I tried to protest, but the woman waved me off and turned her back to me, speaking sub into her communicator. Officer's, Officer Dennett's DNA was under the man's fingernails. The scene was at best contaminated. At worst, this was a nonconformity that would have to be reported. I opened my mouth to tell her again, only to see her arm and fire an electronic pulsar magnet into my chest. My breath whooshed out as my AI system failed and my analog brain misfired into darkness. This damage is extensive, Kiki. Do you have to blow it to pieces like this? The man's voice was rough, scratched as if his vocal modulator had been damaged. Of course. What was I supposed to do? Ask it nicely if it would come with me? Don't be a fucking idiot. And don't call me Kiki. 
a gravelly chuckle. Well, that's your name, isn't it? Besides, ouch, fuck, damn it. A pause and an audible pop sounded, and I felt fluid rush out of me. Shit, I cut a line. Don't kill it. The woman sounded almost upset. I'm not going to kill it if you would just shut up. There. I felt the rush stop and the muted warning systems descend back into the murk of my brain. Here, hold this. Try to keep its chest cavity open without damaging the ribs. If the pieces don't go back together flush, it'll die before it can get to a repair facility. What about the memory files? <clears throat> I can't split them out of the hard drive. I can infect it with an eraser virus, but that's about it. I thought you had a better plan for this. I did, but that was before you fried all the uplink hardware in its midsection. There was a tense silence. I did exactly what you fucking told me to do, you asshole. This wasn't my idea in the first place, and you seem to be getting out of a lot of the dirty work here. I didn't see you take the old man out. I didn't see you having to deal with one of these killing machines. Well, darling, I'm not a field guy. Don't blame me for your occupational hazards. He paused and then continued. Besides, from what I hear, if you want another career, you could just take up whoring. Aren't you the BH models supposed to be built for that sort of thing? It's got to be easier than your current lifestyle choices. I'd even throw you a bone if you were interested. Shut up. I'm not a whore. No? It's all right. I can't tell you clones apart anyway. Maybe I'll just go visit one of your sisters tonight. Do your fucking job. Is it ready yet? Almost. Just wait a minute. The sounds went quiet as the man left. I felt cold. Very cold. The world seemed dark, being blind and hurt. Alone. Here. I had some extra skin cells growing in the back that I can repurpose for some of the damage. It should keep it alive a little longer. Did you upload the false report into its brain yet? Yes, but it's not taking right. I'm not sure it's going to hold. Fuck, you told me you had this under control. You lying sack. Relax. If the upload doesn't work, its AI will just reject it as a corrupted file. We need that report to get to corporate. I can't just have some tinker toy delete it. Fine, Jesus, let me embed the file somewhere else then. We'll just... We'll just Trojan horse the report into the dumb things AI direct. I don't care what you do. Just finish it so I can get out of here. I hate this place. Another forced chuckle from the man with the broken voice. Me too, darling. Me too. You, at least, have the luxury of leaving. You're disgusting. I hope you die here. It's always profitable to be nice to the help, my love. The woman didn't say anything. I felt a flash of light in my brain, but it quickly died. I felt floaty, as if I was held in water, insulated, dissociated. Their words were warped and distant, like on the other side of glass. There, he said, take it. When someone brings it back online, your precious file will be the first thing the corporate download gets. Thank God, she paused. You know what? I'm glad Nana tried to kill you all those years ago. Maybe someday I'll get to finish the job. Always a pleasure, my darling. Do come back. I get lonely here.
The water closed around me, dim sensations of being moved and shoved into a transport, even dimmer sensations of other voices around me and a moment of calm quiet. Marcus adjusted the grammar and reran the story in his head. The transitions were a little strange, and she had that odd, jerky quality to her scenes as if she was running them as a slow-motion film inside her head. Who knows? Maybe she is, he thought. I wouldn't be surprised if she had a photographic memory or something, and she could just rerun these scenes over and over again to best describe them. Fascinating stuff. This last book wasn't quite as soul-wrenching as the first three. It was almost like she was stepping back a little from trying to ram dysfunction and despair down her readers' throats, and her main character was starting to be a little likable. <clears throat> the addition of relationships were actually good. She's listening to me. Who could have imagined? He made some other notes and filed it away to finish tomorrow after a quick glance at the clock. All of her characters are so isolated. There's no joy in any of these books, just one catastrophic failure after another they have to solve. I, I wonder if she, that's how she sees the world. He leaned back into his chair, contemplating. She can't seem to write basic human needs. All of her characters tend to be almost human, but with a completely different set of priorities and values totally hidden from others' perceptions. Maybe that's how she feels all the time. Poor thing. Fascinating to think about, though. Hey, Chris stopped by his desk holding a slim pink book in one hand. Chris? Look what I found, he said. Over at Impulse. Looks like they have a new editor who thought this author felt familiar. He handed the book to Marcus. It was a preprint prototype edition from their sister press downstairs. He opened the cover. A Passionate Embrace by Penelope De La Rosa. Chapter 1. Christine adjusted her skirt and smoothed her hair back, checking to ensure her makeup and jewelry were in place. It had taken hours to straighten her curly brown hair into something approaching respectability, and she'd taken extra time in the mirror today to curl her eyelashes and whiten her teeth. She needed to look... fuckable, yet just a little aloof, so that the pigs wouldn't get too many ideas. Life in corporate America. She adjusted her bra and added some additional padding just to make sure that most men would be looking at her chest and ignoring the words coming out of her mouth. Sometimes misogyny could be extremely handy. What's this? He turned it over, but the blank copy didn't have any cover illustrations or author information. Feels familiar, right? No. You sure? How many romance authors do you know that use misogyny in the first paragraph or the word fuckability? Marcus felt laughter bubbling up. No way. This is Erica's? Sure is. Tina downstairs is working with her. She says she's always on time, makes great first draft copy. She's becoming a favorite. No way, he said, delighted with her. She didn't tell me she was doing this. I didn't think she was capable, frankly. Chris took the book back from him and flipped through it. I haven't read the whole thing, but it's actually pretty good. Funny. Witty. He handed it back. I definitely wasn't expecting that out of her. This is wonderful, Marcus said. Chris flashed a smile. She's got some good scenes in there. Clever. Real 
delicate hand with the sex portion. Again, I figured she was sexless and wouldn't even know how to write one of those scenes. She brought reference books, Marcus said absently, and immediately regretted opening his mouth. Chris cawed with harsh laughter. What? What kind of reference books? Marcus cleared his throat. <clears throat> you, you know, joy of sex, a couple romance novels, stuff like that. She had to look up how to have sex? Oh my god, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Wait until I tell Tina. Uh, wait. He'd already turned and left. Sex reference books, what a freak. Hilarious. Oh, I'm sorry, Professora. I did not do your reputation any favors today, thought Marcus. When he approached his door, he heard hammering. It made him pause with his hand just above the latch. He steeled himself for what was inside. Please, God, don't let it be radiological, biological, or chemical. If you exist, please don't let it be dangerous. It was not. Erica was sitting on the floor in a t-shirt and underwear, half under some monstrous contraption taking up the only open space available in the apartment. He noted that his couch was partially pushed out onto the balcony and the room was strewn with tools and instruction manuals. A YouTube video played on repeat from her computer perched on the arm of the thing. Erica, he said it as a sigh, almost a moan. What have you done? Her blonde head poked out. Oh, hi, Marvin. One second. The head disappeared again for a moment before she wriggled out from under the thing. He averted his eyes. Look, she said proudly. She grasped the base of the assembly and smoothly rotated it together. Before him, instead of a jumble of wood and metal, there was a desk with an extended bookshelf, drawers, a cabinet. Sweet, sweet organization. And now, she said, rotating it the other way, and the desk disappeared to be replaced by a bed frame with closed storage underneath, all without disturbing the bookshelves and the writing platform on the headboard or the backboard. Pretty neat, huh? She moved it back and forth a couple times, looking at him expectantly. She'd placed it near the corner with the open side next to one of the glass panels. Erica, sweetheart, it's, it's beautiful. I know, the instructions said it was a two-day project, but I knew I could do better than that. But I thought I told you that I didn't want any new furniture and that you needed to discuss things with me. She nodded sagely and handed him a piece of paper. It said, Certified pre-owned, manufacturer's guarantee, 30-day warranty, assembly not included. Don't worry, she said, smiling brilliantly. It's used. It took him a moment, but then he realized he'd told her no new furniture. This woman is ruining my life, he thought. You are an impossible woman. I meant... Never mind. Yes, I love it. It's perfect. Hang a curtain around it for privacy. Privacy? Yes, yeah, so you can change and have a separate space for in the living room? Why? Because you need that. And please, go put on some clothes. But it was hot. Then turn down the heater. He dug around in the dryer for her favorite pair of sweatpants and shoved them at you, her. Are you going to move the couch back in? Oh, no, you can do that. She folded the bed portion, sans mattress, back into the desk and began filling shelves with the remaining orphan books. He moved the couch back and picked up her toys and started dinner. 
So my daughter and wife will be coming by in the next couple days. You have a wife? Ex-wife. Ah. They don't know about you. He glanced at her perched on her new bedroom, fussing with mechanisms. Okay. She didn't seem to care. They may be a little surprised to find you here. Okay. I'm a little surprised to find you here, he muttered to himself. What? Nothing. Just try to stay dressed and be polite. Please. Okay. Do I have to say anything at all? Yes. They are going to expect that you talk to them. Interact. Be normal. Hmm. Okay. Just do your best. Okay. He paused, staring at the sauce. She seemed to like mushrooms and pasta. Though he ate, she ate anything he put in front of her. He wasn't sure she actually tasted any of it, but she did clear her plate every day. I saw your new book today. A passionate embrace. Tina let me see the prototype. Really? There was a rustle, and she was staring intently at him from the other side of the kitchen partition, perched on a bar stool. Did you like it? Why didn't you tell me you were looking at publishing a romance with impulse? Why would I? You don't edit romance. I could have helped you, and just because I'm on the sci-fi or the fantasy desk doesn't mean I can't read your other stuff. She gave him a disbelieving look. I promise, I'd love to read all your stuff. It has sex scenes in it. You took away my references and told me I wasn't allowed to write it. You weren't allowed to write it until you finished your other manuscripts, but you seem to have blown that off pretty easily. She nodded. That's true. Jesus wept, he thought. You didn't answer. Did you like it? I didn't like your pen name. Penelope? She shrugged. It sounded girly. All the girls have to be uber feminine in these things. Like, even if they pretend to be tomboys, they have to have stunningly, be stunningly beautiful, or the hero pulls off her glasses and then, bam, she's a Victoria's Secret model. The author name has to be the same way. Super feminine. I was going to use my sci-fi nom de plume, but Tina said, absolutely not. I can see where OSUZ 504 may not have the same air of mystery and intrigue that it does in sci-fi. I think it might be fun to shake things up, you know, do something a little different, but Tina was real sure I should just stick to the script. Killjoy. She said you're making your deadlines like clockwork. I see how it is. You're just difficult for me then, huh? Yes. She said it deadpan, no expression on her face, no inflection in her voice. Marcus let the little air of teasing die out of his voice. Ah, well, okay then, noted. She stuck her finger in the sauce, burning her finger and licking it off appreciatively. Yum. He swatted her hand. Don't hurt yourself. Use a spoon like a normal person. She ignored him. Marcus, why do you let me do all this to you? She asked. She'd come to stand around the side of the kitchen divider, much too close to Marcus. He shifted away, and she took another step closer. Her attention was completely focused on him, and he found himself unwilling to look away. I could do anything to you, couldn't I? She said. I've taken over your house, your job. You let me do whatever I want when it comes to you. Don't be ridiculous, he said, trying to turn back to the sauce. 
Why? She had taken another step closer. What else can I do to you? She put a hand on his heart, staring at him with those honey-colored eyes distracting him. Stop, he said, saying it for her benefit and his. You don't know what you're doing. He covered her hand with his, gently pulling it off his chest, letting the two hover between them for a moment. It broke her intensity, and she blinked. He could see something other than her dark brown and gold pupils. She pulled her hand away and sighed. I always know what I'm doing. Sometimes I just don't know all the consequences. She turned away from him. I want to know what I can't do to you, and why. He let out a breath he didn't know he was holding. People aren't test cases. You can't just play with them as if they're variables or characters in your books, Erica. You can't just push them like that. Of course I can. I just did. I... He wanted to have a retort. He really, really did. He shut up and stirred the sauce instead, feeling his heart beat much, much too fast. Mujer malvada, he whispered to himself.